I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Using a Bible there in the row, it is on page 857, page 857. I mentioned, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, uh, my particular, I want to say disdain, um, dislike for a certain Christmas song. And I may have spoke a little strongly in the first service. My wife told me to tone it down in the sec, but second. So I followed my wife's instruction. Uh, but it was amazing. Yesterday, there arrived in the mail from an unknown individual a T-shirt. And the T-shirt simply said, Mary knew. So I will be wearing that as we carol today. Song in question was, Mary, did you know? She had a pretty good idea. So, uh, uh, Something else before we jump into our message here is tomorrow, we are excited. The builders are coming to start on the windows. And so uh, that will be happening this week, and Lord willing, probably done by the middle of the week. So you don't need to worry about it, but I'm going to ask the folks uh, in the second service to help us stack the chairs and move them to the middle and uh, prep some things in here so they can hit the hit the ground running tomorrow, and so we're thankful for that and for some warmer weather uh, in December here to allow them to, to do that. So looking forward to that happening tomorrow. If you're finding your way to Luke chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to look at verses 8 through 14 this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for Jesus. We thank you for his miraculous birth. Lord, the thing that just surprises our own human conventions of how we would probably plan something out. Lord, but that is often the way you work in which you take what we think or what the world thinks and turns it on, on its head. Lord, just as you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble, you bring low the mighty and you exalt the lowly. Lord, so you as God of the universe have stepped down into time as a baby. Lord, thank you for, for that and this example of humility, of service, but of how you are sovereignly in control, and Lord, you do things as you see fit, which are far better than what we think. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to rejoice again together about the birth of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. As we continue here in our mini-series during the Christmas season of the Songs of Christmas, there is a brief refrain here in Luke 18 through 14. The angel song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or peace on earth, goodwill among men, some translations or manuscripts say. This is well known, right? Almost every Christmas uh, 
movie or, or any instance, peace on earth. It comes from this passage, this song sung by the angels. But when we take a step back and, and look at this situation, look at this birth announcement, it is really surprising what is happening. It's really out of the ordinary. It's really shocking of how this is happening, of what's going on here. And that often happens with birth announcements or births themselves. There are circumstances, there are funny stories, there are things that happen that you almost forget about, right? As, as parents, as moms and dads, it's it, to surprise someone, letting them know that you're expecting a child is a fun thing, and lots of screaming usually happens, right? Or maybe there's funny stories of getting to the hospital on time for a baby that is coming. We have a story that way. Uh, with Eden, our second, we were still in Mason City, and uh, Carrie had, we had a baby shower the night before, and Carrie was doing some shopping and walking around and feeling some contractions like, well, maybe this is, I don't know, we'll see. So by about lunchtime, uh, I came home for lunch. She said, I don't think you should go back to the office. And at that point, she's like, no, we need to go right now. And so we get in the car and we headed across Mason City. It was like a couple miles through town to the hospital. Now there's one stretch of road that is like 25 miles per hour. Nobody ever drives 25 miles per hour on that road in Mason City. I was not driving 25 miles an hour at that point on that road in Mason City. But as we were driving, and Carrie was very much in labor, all of a sudden there are lights behind me. And I get pulled over like half a mile from our house on this road headed to the hospital. So I pull over. Carrie is, you know, sitting next to me. I don't, I won't do that again, sorry. <laughs> the officer walks up and he looks in and I said, hi, officer. I said, I don't know if people tell you this often, but my wife is in labor and we are on the way to the hospital. He leans down, looks over, looks at Carrie and says, have a nice day. <laughs> Turns around, that man wanted nothing to do with delivering a baby. <laughs> we made it, Eden arrived safe and sound. Uh, and so that is one of our, Fun stories that I often remember about Eden's arrival. As we look here at the arrival of Jesus, it is announced, and there are certain things that are happening around it, and, and they're surprising, they're shocking. It doesn't go according to plan as we would think from a human perspective. It surprises us, right? Our big idea this morning from Luke 2, verses 8 through 14 is this, is that the birth of Christ surprises the conventions of our human minds. I think this is important because as much as we understand that God is transcendent and he's above and he is, he is amazing and incomprehensible in many different ways, we still, to a certain extent, think that he should act as we want him to act or as we think he should act. But here in Luke 2, the announcement of the birth of Christ completely goes against, from our human's perspective what I think we should think should happen. He doesn't tell the royal courts. He doesn't uh, have this big pomp and circumstance in, in the capital of the area. There isn't many people lined up to help with the delivery. But rather, it's a simple, glorious pronouncement to everyday men out in a field with the heavenly host. So let's look here and how the birth of Christ surprises the conventions of our human minds. There's, there's several different things 
uh, that go against what we would think. There, there are five things. First off is the location. The location is astounding. It says in verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Well, what region is this? We understand, following verses 1 through 7, that Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, is the city of David, but Bethlehem is not a big deal, right? Okay, there might have been a plaque saying, city of David, David was born here. You see those around different places. But it was really a town of no, no great standing. It wasn't this metropolis. It wasn't a, uh, an, an outpost of even uh, an army or a government building. It's just a small, simple village where David was born. And in this same region, Luke says that there were shepherds. So the same region, the same area, it was, it was out in the country. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't in some important city. It says in the same region, so the surrounding countryside. This would be the pasture land, of course, for the sheep and the shepherds. It would be a normal grazing area near a small town where nothing of significance really happened. Right? Nothing exciting out of the ordinary happened. More than that, it wasn't even necessarily a town where this, where this announcement happened. It didn't happen in Bethlehem. It happened out in a field. Now, we're familiar enough with agricultural and fields, knowing that things happen out in fields. <laughs> but this announcement, that the birth of Christ is happening, the, the Messiah is here, and you're telling some guys out in a pasture? That doesn't make sense. They were doing their job out in the fields where no one else was. So if you think of the location, this was not the center of the world at this point in time. Where we could safely say would be the center of the activity at this point in time in history. It was Rome, right? The Roman Empire is beginning to reach its, its zenith, its, its, its power. Rome was where it was at. So it wasn't in Rome. It wasn't even in one of these other cities that have great renown like Alexandria in Egypt or in these other city-states or other nations in Greece like Athens or anything like that. It wasn't even in Jerusalem. It was out in a pasture where this announcement is given. And it wasn't even necessarily Bethlehem proper, as I said. It's, it's out in a field. The announcement of the birth of Christ, of the Messiah, happened in a place that everyone else would probably just pass by. But God surprises our conventions by proclaiming this most momentous birth, the most momentous birth in history, to a small town, to a group of men we'll talk about here in a moment, out in a field. This isn't posted on a, a, a board in Rome, announced by the priests in Jerusalem, or any other great city. It was out in a pasture. And look who this announcement is given to. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I've already mentioned, sheep and shepherd are close to the heart of God. Jesus is called the good shepherd. We read from Isaiah 9, uh, or excuse me, from Psalm 100, and it says that God's followers, his people, are the sheep of his pasture. He's our, he's our shepherd. This illustration of sheep and shepherd is used throughout the Old Testament. God is the shepherd. He's the caretaker. And 
and the nation. His people are the sheep. This idea of shepherd is given to, to those who would care for the people. And Ezekiel, the idea of the religious leaders as shepherds who have failed their responsibility. And here, I think it's just quite fitting from God's perspective that he's going to give this announcement to shepherds. Shepherds, these were common, everyday laborers who cared for sheep. They would wander through the countryside protecting their flock. Not that they were the scum by any means. They were just simple, everyday men. They lived with the sheep. They watched over the sheep. They led them to food and water. They guarded them from danger. They corrected them and and kept them on their sheep paths where they needed to go. They were the everyday common workers who more than likely probably smelled a little bad most of the time. (laughs) Could have used a bath. uh, Had been away from people following their flocks. And this is who God decides to announce the birth of Christ to. Now we understand he announced it to Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah would know. We know that the, the, the family that was close, but to the broader population, it's to shepherds. And there's been many discussions as to why shepherds. Shepherds had the illustration of caring for sheep, as I've already mentioned. But shepherds would also spread the news. They traveled. They traveled the countryside, and they would say, hey, I heard this. Did you hear this? They would swap stories like people at a gas station, you know, or over a cup of coffee. And we read later on here in Luke 2 how they went, in verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying praise of God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They, they gave praise to God. They told. They went. They spoke. The birth of Christ was not announced in a regal, glorious way to kings and emperors and to people with authority. Right? This message didn't come to Caesar. This message didn't even come to the chief priests of these recipients. The recipients, our second point here, were shepherds. Shepherds, simple, everyday men of Israel who followed the sheep, who cared for them. We think it should go to men in position, right, who have power and authority. But no, this announcement was given to these men. They received it. They went. They proclaimed to any who would listen. I love this because God here again chooses the simple, everyday individuals to be the first to receive the news of his birth and to spread it. We'll see this in the Gospels later on as, as Jesus calls the disciples to follow him. He chooses everyday men, fishermen, a tax collector, common guys, and God uses them to turn the world upside down. We read of that in the book of Acts. We see this here as God chooses the shepherds to be the recipients of this glorious, glorious message. The announcement was not for the high and mighty, but for the low and humble. It is for everyone who has ears to hear that they should hear. What is this message? What is this message? Verse, excuse me, I can't even read my own notes this morning. The messengers. So we had the location, the recipients, now the messengers. Who's delivering this message? Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So these angels, or an angel, appears to the shepherds. Who are the individuals delivering this message? They are angels. An angel. 
the supernatural beings who serve God continually and are active in bringing about his will. As we read Daniel, Daniel is full of angels who deliver messages. We've looked at the beginning of Luke 1 where an angel comes to Mary and Elizabeth and to Zechariah. An angel appears to Joseph in his dream. Angels deliver messages. They pronounce God's working. These messenger is a supernatural messenger and it's delivered in a glorious and mighty way. It's not by some human herald or any human messenger, but by the direct servants of God. God is stepping down into creation. He's saying, this is what's happening. Blowing expectations out of the water here. This angel appears and is is so glorious that they're filled with fear. Again, the angel says, do not be afraid. Verse 10, fear not. But you know what the amazing thing is? It's not just one messenger. Not just one messenger, but a multitude. If you look down in verse 13, Luke says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That term multitude is often translated as thousands or tens of thousands. It's almost as if everybody showed up to work that day at angel headquarters and said, I want to be a part of this, (laughs) right? I got to see this. I want to be there to praise God. The delivery of this message is not by one angel, but it's by the whole almost heavenly host proclaiming this. You know why that's amazing? It's because the angels, I think, were wondering and longing about this day. We learn a little bit about the angels. The angels in the Bible aren't the, the main characters. They aren't the main thing that we're concerned with, though we understand how God uses the angels, how they are part of his creation. But it's interesting as we think of salvation, we think about Jesus coming, and this whole idea of redemption, it says in the New Testament, as we think of Jesus and salvation, it's something which angels long to look. Because God loves us, God loves you and I, in a way that's different than angels, to a certain extent. Because Jesus died, the Son of God came, And he was born and he gave his life for you and I in a special salvific way, which is is different than the relationship with the angels. We experience God in a different way than the angels do. And they give glory to God for it and they long to look into it and to see God's plan of redemption working out here. And here, they want to be part of this. They are joining together, sent by God to deliver this message that the Son of God has come. Redemption has been born. The angels want to join in praising God in the delivery of this message. They are excited. This is something that will change the course of the world, and it seems that most of heaven is there to announce it. It's an amazing, amazing thought. So the messengers deliver this message to the shepherds, the recipients, out in the field. And what is the content of this message? It's all about a baby. It's all about a baby. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, that is the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So this this message is one of good news. Good news. It's the same word in the Greek that we use for gospel. Good news. 
I bring you good news. Why is it good news? Well, it's good news as opposed to bad news. Because what's the bad news? We understand the bad news is that the nation is lost. They're in darkness, right? That the nation is still controlled by Rome from an earthly human perspective. But you take a step back, the bad news is that we are lost. We are dead. We are in darkness because of our sin. That's the bad news. But this is a delivery of good news. Good news of great joy. All the superlatives here. And who is this message for? That will be for all the people. This message of this baby is good news as opposed to bad news. God is not sending judgment and wrath. He's sending redemption and peace. And it is for only the shepherds, right? No. It's for only the upper crust of society. No, for the wealthy. No, for all the people. And I think we can even include here all the Gentiles. I think there's this revelation here of Jesus being for all the people that demonstrates the universality of his redemption that they probably wouldn't even have an idea of right now. But Simeon does, we'll look at next week, as he speaks in regards to Jesus being in the temple. All the people, the message is for all the people. Right now, we are kind of in the stage of life where Carrie and I will be talking, or we'll be talking to somebody, and some of our kids will be like, what'd you say? What's going on? And we'll say, don't worry about it. You don't need to know, or I wasn't talking to you. All right, <laughs> last night, uh, Carrie was doing something in our room. She said, hey, Greg, come here. And so I get up to go in there, and Ezra's right behind me, and I said, mom said dad, not you. I think it was something concerning a Christmas present. That's why I'd like, get out. <laughs> this message is for all people. It's not just for a select few. It's not just for those on the inside. The angels are saying, this is for everybody. It's for you and me who live 2,000 years on. This is huge, this message. This message is for everyone. And what is this message? Verse 11 It's about a baby. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Born this day in the city of David. So we see a lot of things laid out here. Today is born. So whether Christ is is born already or he's being born, it's, it's the idea of simultaneously that he here is already born in the city of David, in Bethlehem. They would know where Bethlehem is as the city of David. There's a lot of loaded language here. The city of David hints to the kingship of David, the heir of David, the son of David, who God has promised will sit on a throne forever. One who will sit on David's throne forever as the eternal king. So there is a child born in the city of David. Hmm. Already this is interesting. And then the angel continues, and he describes this baby even more. Who is this baby? Well, first, he is a savior. A savior. He is the one who will bring salvation. Don't miss these names here of Jesus. For unto you is born the same in the city of David. He's first savior. 
which means that they understand that something need, they need to be saved from something, delivered from something. This, this Savior is one who will save them. As the angel recounted to Mary, you and Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. A Savior. One who has come to deliver his people from the ultimate enemy of sin and death. Secondly, he is the Messiah, who is Christ. That term Christ, Christos, is a, uh, is a, in the translation is the idea of Messiah. He is the anointed one, the one who is coming on the behalf of God to serve God, to serve the nation. Isaiah is filled with language about the Messiah. And this, this idea of the Messiah was the one to come who was going to be sent by God, used by God in the nation to deliver the people. To deliver the nation who is the Messiah. So this is exciting because the people have been waiting. When is this going to happen? When, God, are we going to be delivered? When is the Savior going to come? You know, the amazing thing is he's Savior, he's the Messiah, but this Messiah is also the Lord. He is God. He is not just a human individual, but he is a heavenly individual. He is truly God and truly man. Here is God taking on flesh. This is so hard for us to comprehend because we live so in front of our faces, right? But to have the idea that God, who has always existed, who is eternal, who is spirit, who created everything, has taken on flesh. He's taken on humanity. He's stepped down into creation and taken on humanness. He's fully God, and he's fully man, together in one individual. He has two natures. He has a human nature, and he has a divine nature. He is without sin in his human nature. And in his divine nature, no unrighteousness would ever scar it or stain it. Here, together in one individual, the God-man. What does it take to deliver the people from their sins? It takes God taking on humanity to come and live among us. This, as I mentioned earlier in my prayer, this is the most unfair thing to ever happen. We often think, well, of course God had to take on humanity. No, he didn't. He could have just killed us all and sent us all to hell. Right? We're all sinners, Romans 3 says. Every one of us, we're all, there's a meme floating around, we're all on the naughty list. Romans 3.10, there are none who are righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God does not have to save you and I. God did not have to send Jesus. Let us not take this for granted. This is, this is completely surprising and out of the ordinary and unexpected that God himself has sent his son to be this Messiah, to be this Savior. And how did he come? Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. God did not send his son as a conquering king, though he will. He did not come with great fanfare and pomp and circumstance. He did not 
come to the mightiest city. It was not made known to all the rulers, but to a shepherds in a field by the heavenly host that God was coming to earth as a baby. As a baby. There's another new Christmas song that I do enjoy that talks about who would have believed that we could hold God in our hands. For here is God taking on flesh as a baby. Here is the one who is present at creation, who is holding all of creation together, it says in Colossians 1. And you could hold him in your arms. Jesus. He's a baby, and he's wrapped in simple cloths in a manger, in a food trough, in a ramshackle barn or some sort of cave, right? It, it, this manger. Surprising again is his entrance into the world. These shepherds will find him in a feeding trough in simple clothes. God has become man, a humble man. This is completely wrong and it's completely unfair. But yet it shows us the surprising grace and mercy of God that God has taken on flesh to die for sinful man. God doesn't work how we think he should work. God works as he knows he should work. We want things this way, but God says, no, this way. God, I think you should do it this way. No, I'm going to do it my way. And as we take a step back and look, we realize how God's will and his plan is worked out through his means to describe who he is and to demonstrate his character. God himself humbles himself. I've already mentioned this morning, but God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who come before him with nothing and say, God, I have nothing. I'm a sinner. Save me. He says, yes. God has taken on flesh to die for sinful man. What is the result here? The result, our last point. We already kind of mentioned it, but to come back around to it, verse 13, and the, suddenly there was the with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. What a, what a backup band here, right? You got the one guy coming out, make the announcement. All of a sudden, all right, let's bring everybody else out. Thousands, ten thousands of angels. And what are they singing? They're, they're praising God. And here is their song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or peace on earth, goodwill among men, right? They sing what? They give praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. God has just simply humbled himself by sending his son as a baby, but glory to him. This is something that he deserves glory for all the time. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is huge. Peace is this idea of a reconciliation coming together. Why did Adam and Eve have to leave the garden? Because of their sin, right? There was not peace between Adam and Eve and God. You think of Noah. God literally killed everyone on the earth except for eight people because of their sin. That was not peace on earth at that point. You think throughout the history of Israel as the nation faltered and failed again and again and God's wrath was kindled, His righteous anger was kindled, you know, the ground opens up and swallows up Israelites. The nation is taken into exile by Babylon. Men and women are killed at the hands of these pagan 
nations because of their, their sinfulness, their disobedience to the law of Moses, their heart that is turned from God to idols. There is not peace on earth. There is not peace on earth because of our sin. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. We do not have peace with God. As you take a step back and look at our own lives, for those of us here today, whether you're a Christian, you trusted Christ as your Savior, or you you haven't, our natural standing before God is one of, of enmity. We are at war with God. We are not neutral or indifferent to God. I think this is important. We, we get this idea that if, well, you know, it's like, well, I don't like God, but I, I don't not like God, right? I'm just kind of there in the middle. No, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you are his enemy. You are at war with God. It's this idea, as God gives salvation, he gives it as a gift. Say it's a $100 bill. He comes up and hands you a $100 bill. It's not that you were doing nothing. You were actually actively attacking him. And he says, no, wait, 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 here's a gift. In our sinful state, we are at war with God. There's no peace. We are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2, Romans 1 through 3. We are of our father, the devil, it says in the Gospels. But yet, through this baby that is born, through God's plan of redemption, there is peace, reconciliation, redemption. The relationship has been restored. And how? It's not just because God says, oh, forget about it. I'm, I'm happy now. No, but it's through this one that he has sent, through his son. There is peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. That's why I think this is a better translation uh, to some of the early manuscripts because the idea of whom he is pleased is those who respond in faith and the fear of the Lord. Peace to those who receive this baby by faith. Peace we have through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. While God can and will judge those who stand against him in pride in their sin, he humbly entreats all of us through Christ to respond in faith and to receive the gift of salvation that he offers. This baby in these clothes, lying in this manger, the content of this message delivered to these common everyday men out in the field, this is the one who will provide peace. Peace on earth to those who know Christ, who believe in Christ, who live for Christ. The location is out in the middle of nowhere. The recipients are common everyday shepherds. The messengers the entirety of the hosts of heaven. And the message is this baby. It's actually God taking on human flesh. And the result is perhaps the most amazing thing, that this one who has come has come to bring peace to those who are at war with God. God doesn't destroy his enemies, first and foremost. He offers them salvation. The offer is there full and free. It's there now. You may be here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in that fact. Give thanks today and every day for your salvation. The fact that you have peace with God through this child who grew and who died and who was raised again. Remind yourself 
that you do not deserve this. You do not deserve your salvation. No one does. But know that God loves you through his mercy and his grace that he willingly gives it and he makes you a son and daughter in his house. If you do not know Christ as your savior, the offer is there for peace. But what's needed is a humbling, is an acknowledgement of your sin, a confession of sin, of turning from it and putting your faith in Christ as one who has come for us. And as we know, we know that Christ has come as a baby. He's lived, he's died, he's brought the way of salvation. The next time that he returns, it will be in power and might with a sword. So today, as we think of the birth of Christ, and we think of this song sung by the angels, this wonderful, surprising song of peace, may we again give thanks. And may we be surprised at the work of God that humble things of this earth used by him to exalt the lowly. Father, we thank you again. We thank you for the way that you work and the only way in which you can, giving Jesus, Lord, the fact that you surprise our human minds, our own natural conventions, Lord, of how we would probably do things. Lord, that you would work in the way that you see fit. Lord, may we continue to remind ourselves that we do not deserve our salvation, but yet through your grace and your mercy you give it, and we humbly receive. Thank you for Jesus. Pray this in his name.